Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. She asked for a gumball. Awesome. I had this big gumball machine in my office, and uh, the story is like, yeah. Uh, the story behind that big gumball machine is uh, when I was a youth pastor, one of my fears when just trying to think through becoming uh, like a big pastor, uh, senior pastor, uh, was I really was going to miss the interaction with the children. I don't want to be this like old stuffy like you know dude who can't relate to children and so I'm like what can I get and so I had a friend who had a gumball machine and I said hey how much you want for that and he's like nope you can have it because I told him what I wanted to do and so um, the kids all they have to do is give me a high five or a hug and I supply the quarters for them they reuse them and uh, and they get gumballs and it's a way that allows me to have a little bit of interaction uh, with the kids. And so uh, Bennett, Bennett's already been in today. He, he's, he's one of my first uh, customers uh, each Sunday and Wednesday. He loves it. And it just gives me a great time to interact with them. So um, I'm sure the parents don't appreciate the dentist bill, but that's okay. Uh, it allows me a little bit of joy. This morning, I want to share um, about our Joyful Church series, but before I do, I just want to give you a couple updates on some people uh, in our church. Um, last week, I had uh, mentioned in our after our dinner about Kara Green, and Kara Green, her mother, passed away um, two weeks ago, and so we had a service on Friday. Things went really well, but continue to keep praying for Kara and her siblings uh, as they walk through this time and the loss of, of her mom, Mary. Um, some other big news, Bernie Risch, um, Georgia is our office administrator. If you don't know Georgia, you've probably heard her or had some kind of communication with her. Uh, Georgia's been here for, uh, she started when she was five and she's been here, I think 30, what do we say? 30, coming on 30, 33 years, um, as the office administrator. And so that helps you know, she's 38 years old. She started when she was five, um, but Bernie is uh, um, uh, chairman of our trustee board and has just done a tremendous amount of work. And both of them have served the Lord so faithfully. And, uh, and so we, I come just asking for your prayer. Uh, this Friday, Bernie is going to have a triple bypass surgery. And so he, he went in and had a procedure done this last week on, uh, when was that, Thursday? And uh, they let him come home on Friday, but they essentially let him come home with understanding he was not allowed to do anything uh, for this week. And so they wanted to really keep him there. And I think he twisted their arm in order to be able to go home. But he's home resting, um, some, major, some major, major blockage there. And so just pray for Bernie and Georgia as they walk throughout this week. Uh, big surgery, uh, big procedure. Uh, so be praying for them as they walk through that. Also, their grandson, Drew, has been, um, he's in the service, and I can't go into great detail, but he's no longer in the States, and so you can be praying for him as he is out, and then uh, as he gets word of Grandpa, um, that's one of the things that he told me on the phone. Uh, he said, hey, you got to take care of my papa and nana while I'm gone, and so I said, I'll do my best. They're the ones who keep me in line. So, um, but, uh, but be praying for them. And uh, uh, just on another note, uh, I shared a little bit last week, and I, I've continued to stay in touch with my friend Andrew Postma. He's one of our missionaries in Romania, Andrew and Leah. And, uh, and Andrew um, sent me some videos and, and pictures I can't show you. Um, I'm not allowed to do that um, just for safety reasons, but Andrew made a trip um, this week to the border and uh, helped serve there, and it is, it, is, um, it is overwhelming. And so I saw he sent some of those videos this morning, and, uh, and I just have to admit part of that is why I am the way I am this morning. Um, it's, it's humbling. Um, I walked in today. I think there's a couple pictures. I walked into this morning to this at our church, uh, down the education hallway. You might've saw the fans and I walked in and there was a flood. Uh, it's hard to see kind of, but I'm like, 
I don't think the floor is supposed to glow like that. It's not supposed to be shiny. And so I walked in and, uh, and so we had uh, a water line in the boys restroom that had broken. And so thankfully it was clean water and we were able to vacuum it up and nothing major, it looks like nothing major uh, was hurt or broken. Um, but as I walked in, I thought, you know what? Life, life is good. Life, so we got a mess of water. So I can't do what I was planning on doing. Uh, it's clean water. It's not sewer back up. Like there's so many blessings that as we look at it. And again, just a reminder, like I was re walk, reading those texts and stuff this morning that, that Andrew had sent and the videos of, you know, thousands and thousands of people, a lot of them, mothers, uh, pregnant women, children, and, uh, and Andrew said that they didn't really have a whole lot to give except for water. And Andrew said, that I made it my mission that there wasn't going to be anybody who was going to be thirsty. Like I was going to make sure everybody at least had a cup of water. And, uh, and so they have sent up some big tents. Uh, they're at the border of Russia and Ukraine. And uh, the lines uh, for uh, vehicles are just backed up for miles uh, waiting for to be able to get in. And, uh, and so just pray for Andrew and Leah. Uh, I'm going to be talking to our missions team and our deacons and about the possibility of us being able to help in tangible ways. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but we'll let you know and we'll, we'll keep you informed this week. But it just, it, it puts things in perspective for me at least. And I hope it does for you too. Like we sit here so privileged, right? Like we are privileged people. And yeah, I may want something or something may not be wrong. And that doesn't lessen uh, some of you and what your hurt is and what you're going on, like what, what's going on in your life. But we don't have fear today that a bomb is going to fall in our church. Like we don't have fear that like gunmen are going to come in and we're, we're, we're going to have to change how we worship or how we, how we meet and gather. And so... Um, there's a part of me today that really wants to sock it to you, all right, um, but I don't want to do that, all right? I, I want to be gracious to you because of what we're talking about. What I want to share in our series is called Joyful Church, and it should be a joy for us to gather. We should be able to see life in perspective and to be able to see how much God really has blessed us and how good we really have life. And with that joyful church today, we're talking about commitment. So just so you know, if you showed up today and this is the first time you've been here for a while or you've been here for a while, but you showed up, I'm not speaking to you individually. All right. If you think that this is about you, I'm sorry. It's not about you. Like this is what God has prepared for me to share um, many weeks ago. And so it just so happens that I think God has brought you here or you may be listening online uh, for today for a reason. And, and I just hope and pray that you will be attentive to what God is trying to share and what he's trying to tell you. Um, usually my sermons are pretty neatly uh, packed out and I can kind of flow through it. I will tell you, this is not, this is not uh, an easy one. I could easily tell you how you need to be committed to the church, all right? And I could get on my hobby horse and tell you of all the reasons why and to walk through all the scriptures of why church should be important to you and you should be committed to, to it. I don't want to do that this morning. I want to walk through a few things and I want to just highlight a couple things because I want you to walk out of here a, knowing that church is important and that you should commit to it, but not feeling guilty because the pastor made you feel guilty, all right? I don't want you to do something because you're, because you feel guilty about not doing it. I want you to feel convicted, and I want you to feel compelled by the grace and the mercy of God to be a part of something that he wants you to be a part of, and there's a difference there. One removes me out of the factor and the equation. So I'm trying to do that. Part of this is when we look at uh, commitment and we ask, look at church, uh, part of it is I start off with what's the, what's the goal? Like, what is the goal of church? What is the goal of committing to something? I want to know what the goal is. And so for me, when I was running, 
right? Uh, especially in high school and in college, when I ran, I had a purpose, all right? My goal was, A, I wanted to run the fastest time I could run, and I wanted to beat as many people as I could be, all right? I, that was my goal. And so I set out, and with that goal in mind, that's why I did the things that I did. That's why I needed to eat the way I, I ate. That's why I needed to do the drills uh, that I needed to do, the repeat miles, the repeat hills, some people are like, you are crazy for doing that. Yes, but that was part of the mindset of, okay, what's my goal? What do I want to achieve? And when we think about that in church, what have you ever thought about what's the goal? What's the big picture here? Or do you just come because somebody told you long ago, maybe a parent, a grandparent, or an aunt, an uncle, a niece, nephew, somebody told you that you needed to go to church. And so ever since then, you've just come to church. Because you know it's the right thing to do. Well, I want to encourage you. There is something greater than just attending church. There's a goal here in mind. And that goal isn't to beat people or to be the best person or to out-achieve somebody else like it is in running for me. Or I should say was no longer is. Um, goals change, right? My goal has changed now with running. Now it's like, okay, I need to go out and run so that I can enjoy that donut that I had this morning. Um, goals change. There, all throughout the New Testament, we see over and over again how the church is critical and important. And I'm going to highlight just a couple people here this morning. Because I really think, and that's going to be one of the things that I share with you, I think that the church, and one of our goals is, is it's people. It's about people. It's not the only thing about church. Ultimately, it is about glorifying our God. It's about what I shared in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Like, ultimately, we have been given salvation. And ultimately, Jesus said to Peter, uh, when he's talking to his disciples, he said, I will build my church and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. Ultimately, it is Jesus's church. We are here to bring him glory and honor. It's because he has saved us that we are part of that upper case C, the, the global church. But the local church is how God works through us in very tangible ways. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. First, I want to look at uh, two people. In Philippians chapter 2, um, I purposefully did not put these verses up on, on the screen, partly because I have to admit, I want you to open your Bibles. I think sometimes we're lazy, okay? So I, you're not going to depend on me today to show you the verses. I'm going to give them to you, and then you look them up. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 30. Again, context is important. Paul's writing to the church here in Philippi. All right, it's a local body or multiple local bodies there in Philippi. And as they are reading this letter to the church, to the group of believers, um, Paul says this about Timothy and Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send, you to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be uh, cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how he's a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. 
So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What we see here is these two men who are critical and important to the church, to the early church and the service that Paul is trying to, to serve the local churches with. We see their importance and their willingness to sacrifice, their willingness to even, as Paul says about Epaphroditus, even to put himself in harm's way so that it would be an encouragement to the church. Are you that committed? Again, I, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. Not everybody's Epaphroditus and not everybody's a Timothy. But I challenge you, would you just think this morning with me? Would you be willing to think about yourself? Not anybody else, not anybody else that is here or that should be here, that should be listening to this message. Think about you. Here we have examples of what it means to be not only a follower of Jesus Christ, but somebody who's committed, somebody who's willing to stand up and to do some things that were needed to do. They found their niche. Now flip back to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Interesting, again, if you read through Paul's letters at the end of each one of his letters, he often will acknowledge those who are doing and being a part and committed to the gospel being spread and, and, and the churches and the well-being and the training of the churches. Here we see at the end of this, this letter here to the church in Corinth that, uh, that Paul is going to uh, write about Somebody that we saw in Acts chapter 18 and verse 8 as we were going through our study in Acts. But let's read it. First um, Corinthians 16 verse 15. Now I urge you brothers, you know that the household of Stephanias was the first converts in Achaia. And that they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every follower and worker and laborer. What we see here is, again, here were some early believers. They were the first converts, right? So I don't think they were using the excuse of saying, well, we never grew up hearing this, right? I, this is all brand new to me, and, and I don't feel adequate to be able to, to, to help or to serve. No, they jumped in, regardless of, of whatever their background was. They were new converts that got thrown in the mix, and they were there devoted to what? What were they devoted to? To the service of the saints. They were ministering to people in the church. It wasn't about some program that Paul had constructed in order to help the church to grow. No, the household of Stephanius was there being purposeful in their devotion and their commitment to help people, to serve them, to love them, to care for them. Um, Romans chapter 16, we're going to see two examples here. Romans chapter 16, we start in verses three, and three through five, and we'll see um, some really, really important people that were encouragements to Paul Romans chapter 16 and verse 3, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So what we see here is, again, Paul acknowledging uh, a, that, that it is multiple people that have an, had an impact on him. And not only just him, but the churches, the Galatian churches. As Paul was being, being discipled and as he learned and grew in understanding what salvation was and who Jesus was, going from, from taking those who were followers of Jesus and throwing them in jail and ultimately seeing some of them die, to ultimately being a follower of Jesus because of that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, Paul is, 
is learning and growing. And Priscilla and Aquila took Paul underneath their arms. And at the risk, what Paul says here, at the risk of their own neck, meaning at the risk of their own lives, they were willing, by the grace of God, uh, to bring Paul in and to teach him and to train him. And these are people that not only taught Paul so that he could go out and preach the gospel to the Gentile nation, but there's a house church that's meeting with them. I, I'm not going to get into our house churches needed today or not. I, listen, I wrestle with all of this too. What's it supposed to look like? Because church in America looks way different than it does in a lot of other countries, right? Don't be naive enough to think that all the churches globally look the same. No, they don't. I think God's given us a lot of grace. He's given us a lot of uh, what I would say um, room to function within the boundaries. It's like a soccer field, right? Uh, God has given us some boundaries and he's given us a lot of room to navigate that. And churches all look different. Would I like to see more churches? Yes, in some ways. In other ways, I'd like to see less churches. It's like, why can't we just get along? Well, that's a lot deeper than what we have time to get into. And I just say that because it's a wrestling. And so when you see a passage like this, don't take it and claim it and say, oh, everybody should be a part of a, a house church because that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. If that's God's calling on your life, and he desires for you to do that and to lead that and to be a part of that, make sure you do it scripturally, but go at it. But don't think that it has to be that way for everyone. We see here the need that was required of Priscilla and Aquila. Because think about Paul. Where would Paul be without these people who were willing to give of their time, their energy, their efforts, to risk their own life, where would Paul have been without them? Would he have been able to accomplish and to do all that God wanted and desired for him to do? It shows us that God desires to use us. He desires to use you regardless of your, your gifting, regardless of your age, regardless of, of, of your economical um, uh, well-being or not well-being, regardless of your past, regardless of wherever you have been and where you are or wherever you're going, God is desiring to use each of his children to grow the church. Jump over just a few verses to verse 13, Romans 16, verse 13. It says this, and I love this name, greet Rufus. That's a cool name. I think if I had another son, I might name him Rufus. But Lisa's in the nursery, so you can talk to her later about that. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Do you know that was in the Bible? Ever seen that before? Paul's like, listen, please greet this guy. He's been, he's been such an encouragement to me. And also, don't forget about his mom. She's been like a mom to me. She's ministered to me like a mom. You know what we need in the church? <laughs> we need moms. Regardless of if you have kids or you don't have kids, we need moms, we need grandmothers, we need fathers, we need grandfathers. That's why whenever we've handed stuff out on Mother's Day, I've said, hey, if you're the age uh, of a mother or older, we want you to have a flower. We want you to have, because you have an impact upon our children. They're watching you. They're looking to you. And you need to be a vital part of the church. We need one another. The older teaching the younger. Learning, listening. Barnabas is uh, in Acts 4.26. I won't take time to look at it. Uh, Acts 4.26, Barnabas um, comes onto the scene. And then later in chapter 11, verse 22 through 26, it talks about how he, he's, he's labeled an encourager. 
That's who, who Barnabas became. He, it was all about encouraging, encouraging others to keep at it, to keep going. Uh, if you were given a name in the church, what would your name be? What would your name be? Oh, man, they're an encourager. Man, they're willing to jump in and help. They're a servant. Man, they're really sweet. Man, they're a great teacher. They have a lot of wisdom. Man, that person's so gentle. That person's so giving. Man, that person is a prayer warrior. I know they're praying. Or man, I, I, I don't even know that person. Or I've seen that person before, but I'm not sure who they are. Again, there's a fine line here that I want to walk here this morning because it's not my church. West Hill Baptist Church is not my church. Do you know that? I hope you know that. I hope you acknowledge that. I hope that long after I'm gone that God will continue to use the body of Christ here at West Hill. Because it's not about me. God's called me to help lead this church. But the church at West Hill is look around you. You make up the church at West Hill. So there's some things that we need to just talk about. Commitment. How can you be something if you don't show up? My friend Vince. I love Vince. And uh, Vince comes from... Um, Catholic background. He was the last one to uh, get saved in his family, right? Uh, his children were saved and his wife, and then he saw, um, saw his need of Savior Jesus. And uh, Vince came in this week and was chatting with me a little bit, and he said, Pastor, you can use this if you want to use it. And, uh, and, and this is what I'm talking about when we are with one another, and we'll talk about one another here in a little bit. But Vince's uh, perspective, and part of it is coming from the background uh, of the Catholic Church and what their requirements are. And we don't have those requirements, per se. And I remember there was a family that came in uh, years ago. Don't worry, it's none of you. A family that came in, and, uh, and we were talking about church, and, and they just said, well... It's okay if we miss some Sundays because we're not under the law anymore. We're, we live by grace. And I thought, that's what a pastor wants to hear. Like, that's so encouraging to have somebody come and say, hey, it's okay if I'm not here for a few weeks. You keep doing up the good work because we don't have to be here, but you do. Now, they didn't say that, but essentially that's what they're saying. Vince talked about his buddies going to play golf. And they had a standing date and standing time, right? Every Tuesday at what time? What time did you go play golf, Vince? 10.52. 10.52, they have an exact time that they're supposed to be teeing off. And he told me that there was uh, one, one of the guys who would uh, sometimes miss. Uh, and he would just not show up. And they would ask him and say, hey, why, why, weren't, why weren't you there? It's every Tuesday at 1052. Like, you know it's scheduled, it's planned. And he'd say, well, I scheduled a doctor's appointment. And they're like, could you not have scheduled it at another time? Well, that was just when it was convenient. Again. If we stop and really think about our excuses, they're pretty lame. When you think about when you're going to appear before the God of heaven and earth, the creator one day, and you're going to give an account for how you lived your life. And right now, our church is set up where Sunday mornings at 1015, we gather and we worship. That's just what we've set up. And so if you've said, hey, we want to be a part of that, 
We, we want to be a part of what God is doing at West Hill. We want to use our gifts and our abilities, our time, our treasure, our talents, the truth that God's given us. We want to be a part of that in a local church. That's when we gather every week. Did you know that? 10, 15 every week. Now we do live under grace. You get sick. You have something that comes up. You travel on vacation. Man, isn't it awesome and freeing to know, man, I'm not bound. Like my salvation is not bound by whether or not I show up at West Hill Baptist Church building um, on a Sunday morning at 1015. Isn't it awesome to know that? Here's the problem, though. We've swung in such the other direction. We, we, we don't know what commitment really looks like because when it gets challenging or when it gets hard or when it's not convenient for me, I'm going to allow other things to take place. And part of this, yes, I'll admit, part of it is I'm a pastor and I prepare every week to bring the word of God to you. And I ask God for wisdom and I ask God for guidance because I want to encourage you. I want you to grow, and I want you to learn, and I want you to be excited, and I want us to experience what God desires in a joyful church when we're committed together. You know it, and you feel it. You feel it when, when Sunday morning, on Easter morning comes, and we see this place packed out. It is exciting, isn't it? We walk away, you're like, yeah. I walk away, and like, where's half of these people the next week? Because actually the next week after Easter, as much as we love Easter, the worst Sunday for Lisa and I is the week after Easter. You know why? Because everybody's done their duty. Everybody's showed up. And they've celebrated. And we did this great time of worship. But then it's not convenient or something else has come up. Please hear me. I... I'm not trying to ridicule. I'm, I'm really trying not. I, I don't want to pull out my whip and just start whipping people like that with my words. I don't. I do believe that the church is critical and important to what God desires to do on this earth. Do you agree? Do I preach to the choir? I probably am right now. I think that the church, and when we think about commitment, it's about three major things. I, want, I told you I want to make it simple, and here's what, what it is. When we commit to church, we're committing to, number one, we're committing to prayer. God said he wanted his house to be a house of prayer. And so when we come in, I don't know if you realize it or not, or if it's just become part of the routine, how much we actually pray in a service. We pray quite a bit. And it isn't just for the purpose of filling time. It's not just because we want to do it. It's because we want to help you as a congregation that we would engage together in corporate prayer, being purposeful. Being purposeful and coming to God and acknowledging who he is, what he's done, and acknowledging that we are in need of his help. And that other people need his help. And so we do that as we gather not only here on Sunday morning, but in our life groups. We pray with our kids at Awana. And I think in the future, we'll continue to have times where we spend especially in prayer. What I find interesting, though, is when we do set those times of prayer aside for us to corporately uh, pray together, they are very poorly attended. And the thinking goes like this. I can pray on my own. I don't have to go there. True. You should be praying on your own. And praying on your own should lead you to say, you know what? It is so encouraging to get together with a group of people and pray. Because where two or three are gathered, he is there and he shows up. There's this really group, a really cool group of people. Uh, the Mor Moravians. Ever, anybody ever heard of the Moravians? Uh, kind of the first Protestants, if you look at history. Uh, they were led by Count Zinzaterdorf. What a cool name. First of all, to be called Count and then to be Zinzaterdorf. He led this group of people. And as he led, they were just, they were a young group of people. And as they started their church, 
there was about uh, several just in their 20s, if you look back at the history. But what that group of people did is they were willing to commit. They committed for this. Listen to this. These people and the generations to come committed for 100 years. I won't live to be 100. Well, I hope Jesus comes back before then. But for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, they had someone praying for 100 years. When you actually trace back the history of the Great Awakening, it stems from this prayer time. Wesley, who makes a huge God uses in a great way, Charles Wesley, he gets saved because of these people praying. It traces back to them. So we need to be people who commit to pray. Pray individually for one another and pray together. That's why in the last few years, we've had times and services just committed to prayer. Last year, I asked uh, our men, a group of men, to come and just lead us in prayer. And that was our whole service. And what an encouraging time. Wasn't that awesome, those of you who were here? It was sweet. It was a sweet time. It brings us great, it brings us joy. It isn't hard commitment then. It's interesting when we look at the scriptures when it says one another. The one another's are listed um, roughly a hundred times in the New Testament. I think there's 90 some verses, um, but it's listed a hundred times um, like love one another, serve one another. I was going to read through them all and I'm like, no, I'm not going to read them. You, you, you do it. You look it up. It's, it's awesome. So a hundred times in the New Testament, right? So that's pretty important. A quarter of the times that it says one another, it says to pray. So do you think it's important? Do you think the church should be committed to praying? I think it should be. And I'm confessing to you, I think it's something that we, we have we've probably abandoned too much. So it's my prayer. I've been praying. Okay, how do we fix that? How do we be a, a people who would commit to prayer? Not just individually. Yes, individually is important. But how do we do that as a church? Number two, the second thing is this, preaching. Preaching. You say, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. No, you may not be, and that's okay. But I think the church should be committed to preaching. Preaching the word of God. That's where you could say, amen. Amen. Do I have any witnesses out there? <laughs> because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, it says, for, whoever one, uh, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching is part of what God has orchestrated in the church. You may not like me as a preacher. That's okay. I understand it. I don't like me sometimes. Go to a church where you're going to be fed, where there's good preaching, preaching the word of God, the truth. And be committed to that. Be committed that when you show up on a Sunday morning, that you're engaged. Be committed to going to classes while you may have heard a lot. I remember this back in youth group. A boy didn't want to come to youth group. He's like, oh, I've already learned all I could in Romans. I had it in my study in the last church, and I did, just did it in my devotions. I don't want to go through Romans again. I understand. Man, if Romans is all you had, that's the number one book that if you were to survey any of the, the forefathers of our faith, the pillars of our faith, that they said that, that they would want one book of the Bible. You know what one book it was in the surveys that were taken? The book of Romans. Study the word. We've got to grow together. We've given you an opportunity. 
We have a, book, a, a class that's going on before we meet and gather here. I walked in there this morning mainly just because I wanted to see how the water was down the hallway. And, uh, and I walked in as they were getting started and Rick was praying. Unfortunately, I interrupted his prayer because I wasn't paying attention. My hearing is going that bad. And again, I don't mean to say this out of guilt. I just want you to recognize, you know how many people were in the class when that class started? Four people. So either we're doing something wrong on our end, or there's something wrong out here. Last Sunday, for weeks we had encouraged you, we want to do a family dinner. And we want to do that once a quarter. We're not calling them business meetings anymore. Business meetings are so 60s and 70s, okay? We're in the 2020s now. So we want to have a time. It's my goal and desire is to have a family dinner where we engage one another, where we sit down at the, at the table and where we can have interactions and we can learn about each other. Because at my table, in my house, that's where the best interactions happen. Zach does some silly things at our table and he makes us laugh. It is wonderful. And then there's other times where we're crying around the table because of what's been shared and walking through things. There's something unique, and we see it in the New Testament, of when a, a group of people gather and break bread together. Some people mean that to be communion. I, there may be times and contexts where that is true. I think it's also participating in eating a meal together. So last Sunday, we encouraged you to bring a soup. And I said, even at the end of the service, hey, if you didn't bring a soup, that's okay, you stay. Because there was an enormous amount of soup in there. It was unreal. Soup and salad. There was even SpaghettiOs. My wife loved it. She just like went back for seconds. She said, I feel like a kid again. Here's the sad part to me. The sad part, yes, it was sad to see not even a quarter of the people that were here on the Sunday morning went to lunch. But what broke my heart as a pastor is there were four different tables of newer families and newer people that had come to West Hill all sitting by themselves. And as a pastor, it broke my heart. Because I can't split myself up into four people and sit at each one of their tables. It's not about the dinner. It's not even about the service. It's not about me. It's the third thing. It's about the people. So it's about prayer. It's about preaching because that's how we grow. We're going to talk about growth next in, in, in a couple weeks. But the third is about the people. Notice I didn't say about programs. Programs are how we engage with one another, but it really is about the people. It's about us. It's about something unique that God has given us that as we read throughout scripture that we're bonded as the family of God. And we have this wonderful opportunity that lies ahead of us. And I feel like we're missing it. We're missing the opportunity to engage with one another, to learn, to grow, to be able to share the struggles, the hardships, and to be able to learn and to listen from our older generations of how they endured and how they walked through it. Instead, we're so isolated and individualized because that's what we have learned. That's what we think is what's best. And that's not the New Testament church. The New Testament church is about people. You heard it. You, I read those passages about the people serving other people. You have been given a gift. We have been given a gift. We have a wonderful facility. God has blessed us immensely. But this church isn't about this facility. We had a great time Wednesday night. Um, we had a track, a wanna track that was running right down through the aisle and we moved the chairs and parents and kids and we just had a super time. They were racing their cars and Hot Wheels cars and wooden block cars and it was a lot of fun. 
But West Hill isn't about an Awana race. You know what it's about? The people. It's about the families that come on Wednesday night that we get to reach out with God's love and build a relationship with. That's why we see, again, over a hundred times in the New Testament, one another. We love one another. We serve one another. We encourage one another. We edify one another. We, we are called to do all these things to one another, but we are going to live our own life and do our own thing because that's what the world has told us to do. And that doesn't mean there isn't time or place for outside events. I'm not saying that you should be exclusively devoted only to the church. Part of our mission, and if you see it out by the door here, the first thing that we say is we want to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we want those outside of these walls to know that there is a Savior and that he is real. And so we purposefully engage in activities and we do things outside of church so that people may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also are called out. Remember the word for church? Ecclesia, to be called out of. We've been called out of the world to something great, and it's called the church. And God wants us to connect with one another. To help grow one another. To serve one another. But we can't do that unless we're with each other. Unless we're around each other. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly after 20, almost 23 years of being here at West Hill. It's been some good times. And then there's been some challenging times. And there's some things that nobody can fix. It's just because we live in a broken and a fallen world. And so again, I'm not here to guilt you in that you should be doing something more or that you should be a part of something. I'm telling you that the church is important and it's critical because God's word tells me it's how he is going to grow his people and how he's going to get the word out about who Jesus is. I didn't set that up. God did. And we get to be a part of that. And I encourage you to be a part of that. I encourage you to, to be willing to commit. And if you need help and accountability, hey, that's what it's all about. Because not, not one of us is perfect. I'll be the first to admit that. But I will tell you that as we commit to the Lord Jesus, to be people who pray together, to be people who study the word, that the preaching of God's word goes forth, and that we would be people who love people and are committed to people, we will be joyful, joyfully committed, and we will be a joyful church. I believe that with all my heart. But it takes all of us, not just me. Because I can't split myself up into four different tables and sit and meet and, and encourage others. You, you have to be a part of that. We can't just do that as a staff or as just a couple families. It takes all of us. Commit to a local church. If West Hill isn't the church, I'm okay with that. I really am. 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't be, but I'm okay with it now. If West Hill isn't the church, find a church, a local church where you can get involved in and that you can engage in and that you will commit to. That you will commit your time, your energy, your resources. We go through different stages of life. We acknowledge that. But commitment, you know if you're committed or not. You know it. Because usually, at some point, it costs you something. We want life where it doesn't cost us. I want it easy. I want it on my terms. That's not when we see God do his greatest work. When we see God do his greatest work, it's when we're willing to sacrifice Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that it is your desire to see us grow, to see us develop as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a hard one for me because 
I want to see everybody engaged. I want to see everybody committed. I, I have a certain idea of what I think commitment is. And yet, Lord, I, 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 I want these people who are listening this morning. Lord, I, want, I, I desire for them to listen to you, not to me. That we would be committed to one another. The programs that you've given us are an avenue to be able to grow. They're not what's important. It's the people here, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would help stir up within our minds and in our hearts a greater love for one another. Help us to know and understand better what that love should look like. May it not just be words that come from our mouth. May it not just be words that we tell you that we love you, but then we're not part of your church that you've established that you want us to be a part of. But Lord, that we would be committed to loving like you want us to love one another. In spite of our flaws, in spite of our warts, Lord, we see your goodness here at West Hill. The gospel continues to be proclaimed, not only here in Akron, but around the globe. It is encouraging to see your spirit using and working in the hearts and the lives of these people. I pray that you would continue to do your work in us and through us. I pray that we would see more lost souls saved. I pray that we would see those who have turned their back on you come back, running back into your loving arms. I pray for those who are bitter and have some real hurt because of people who have hurt them in the church. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to navigate that. and Lord, that you would help them to be able to to see how you are loving and forgiving and how when we don't forgive, that just hurts us. And it hurts what you desire to do in us and through us. And so I pray that you would take that bitterness away and that you would give them a forgiving spirit. Lord, we face challenges each and every day and each and every week. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that you've given us the church, this local body. Help us to grow. Even if it's not numerically, Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in learning to love one another, to serve one another, and to care for one another. That we would be people who would be people of prayer, we would want to see and to hear the preaching of the word. And we would be people, people. We pray this in the name of Jesus.